Part 2, The 7 Common Good Leadership Practices. If the question, am I in the third circle, provides the leader with a compass, the 7 good leadership practices are the leader's roadmap. As the outer circle of the leadership model suggests, the common good is the goal. We get there by engaging the seven common good leadership practices arranged within the circle. These seven practices can be done separately, but they also build on each other when performed progressively in clockwise order around the model, strengthening a leader's capacity to advance the common good. The three V's, values, vision, and voice, found where the corners of the triangle touch the circle, represent internal capacity building which helps leaders become clear about their identity and vocation. The three arcs in the model house three concepts that describe external elements which leaders are responsible for either engaging or co-creating. These external elements help establish the setting and climate within which progress for the common good is best pursued. Courage is at the center of the model since it both fuels and draws from the other six practices. Courage invigorates the entire process of leadership for the common good, making it a powerful means of social transformation. Chapter 4. Choosing Your Personal Values Nelson Mandela was born into the royal family of the Thumbu people in the Transke region of South Africa and raised to follow in his father's footsteps as a high officer among the Thumbu. But his contribution to the well-being of his people took a different path. As a young man, he traveled to Johannesburg, where he found a job in a law office and entered law school. He also joined the African National Congress, ANC, in 1944 and took a leadership role in his powerful youth league. When the pro-apartheid National Party won the national election in 1948, Mandela left law school to devote himself fully to politics. He helped lead the ANC's 1952 passive resistance movement against apartheid. He was also instrumental in developing the Freedom Charter, which became the foundation for the anti-apartheid movement. In 1962, Mandela, who by this time was regarded as the most influential black leader in South Africa and a potent symbol of resistance to apartheid, was arrested by the South African military police. In 1964, the government pressed further charges against him including conspiracy to overthrow the government, sabotage, and high treason. In his defense statement at the April 1964 trial, Mandela spoke of his ancestors' greatness as fighters for the freedom of their people and how their heroism had inspired his own efforts for freedom and justice. In my youth in this transge, I listened to the elders of my tribe telling stories of the old days. Amongst the tales they related to me were those of wars fought by our ancestors in defense of the fatherland. I hoped then that life might offer me the opportunity to serve my people and make my own humble contribution to their freedom struggle. This is what has motivated me in all that I have done in relation to the charges made against me in this case. He closed the statement by declaring the values that had guided his choice over the span of two decades. I have fought against white domination, and I have fought against black domination. I have cherished the ideal of a democratic and free society 
in which all persons live together in harmony and with equal opportunities. It is an ideal which I hope to live for and to achieve. But if needs be, it is an ideal for which I am prepared to die. Mandela spent the next 26 years in prison. The other political prisoners looked to him as a source of courage and hope. Outside the prison walls, he was still widely regarded as a potent symbol of resistance to apartheid. Mandela, along with other ANC leaders, was finally released from prison in 1990, when South African President F.W. de Klerk reversed the ban on the ANC in one of the early steps towards ending apartheid. During his first speech after his release, Mandela repeated the exact words which he had ended his defense statement in 1964, reiterating his values of freedom, justice, and harmony, as well as his willingness to die fighting to realize these principles, letting it be known that nearly three decades in prison had not diminished, but rather increased his commitment to his values. He continued to draw upon these values as he moved into a new level of leadership in his country. On May 10, 1994, Mandela was inaugurated as the first democratically elected president of South Africa. In his inaugural address, he once again spoke of the values of freedom, justice, and harmony. We understand it still that there is no easy road to freedom. We know it well that none of us acting alone can achieve success. We must therefore act together as a united people for national reconciliation, for nation building, for the birth of a new world. Let there be justice for all. Let there be peace for all. Let there be work, bread, water, and salt for all. Let each know that for each, the body, the mind, and the soul have been freed to fulfill themselves. Nelson Mandela is a leader who exemplifies the importance of choosing personal values and using them to work for change. Personal values are the foundation upon which leadership for the common good rests. As Nelson Mandela's life suggests, values are not just philosophical ideas. They are tangible moral assets meant to be chosen, prized, and put into action. Once they are chosen by individuals, values become personal guidelines for making choices. Everyone has 24 hours in a day and limited energy and resources, so we cannot do and have everything, but must prioritize and make choices with the help of personal values. When our choices are grounded in what matters, we can live with the consequences of those choices, as well as more readily perceive their benefits. For example, a father who chooses to leave behind a high-paying career to spend more time with his children may sometimes wonder, if I had kept that job, we might have been able to go on more exciting vacations, the children might have been able to enroll in a better college, or they could have become more independent. As such nagging thoughts rise, this father can be comforted knowing that he made his decision based on his personal values, live with the consequences, and also perceive its benefits while seeing his children grow up and making it to all of the teacher conferences, recitals, and athletic events. To yield their best gifts 
personal values need to be prized. When people prize personal values, they deepen their commitment to them and allow them to shape their behavior and catalyze their actions. Because Rosa Parks prized the value of racial equality, she stayed seated on the bus in Montgomery, Alabama, stoking the civil rights movement. Similarly, because Mother Teresa prized the value of compassion, she cared for the dying in Calcutta, India. These are both famous people, but examples of cherishing personal values can be found everywhere among ordinary citizens. A working single mother who prizes the value of family comes home each evening to make dinner for her children and help them with their homework. A Methodist pastor who prizes the value of tolerance among religious traditions holds midweek interfaith services that include a Jewish rabbi, a Catholic priest, and a Muslim imam, even though some members of the congregation are hesitant. When we prize our personal values, we not only act on them, but do so repeatedly over time, both when it is easy and when it is hard. For instance, Nelson Mandela prized justice before he went to prison, advocated for justice while in prison, and stayed true to the value of justice when he became president. Some days his commitment to justice brought him acclaim, and on other days, hardship. Further, when people prize personal values, their values give back to them in ways that enrich their lives. Those who commit to the value of wisdom over time find themselves becoming wiser. People who become standard bearers for truth discover that truth slowly fills their hearts and minds and, albeit sometimes painfully, eventually sets them free. A person who pledges herself to the value of integrity will eventually lead an undivided life, behaving as the same honest person, whether at work, at home, or in community. Those who prize love often end up in situations where they are loved in return. Groups 2 may use values as the foundation upon which they work for the common good. These values are expressed in mission statements, declarations, and project plans. However, despite the best of intentions, unless a group's values are derived from the personal values of its members, they lack staying power. In such cases, these values all too often devolve into platitudes posted on the break room wall or kept in a three ring binder on a shelf rather than catalyzing action for the common good. Most individuals who commit to their personal values can also find the inner motivation to commit to a team effort. In the process, they discover how their values can serve as stepping stones to the values of the groups to which they belong. As a result, both individuals and groups are well served. It is through our personal values that we establish a personal relationship with principles, which are the essence of third circle orientation. The range of personal values is greater than the range of principles. Principles are moral reference points that guide and direct people towards choices advancing the good of all. Personal values, on the other hand, can align with a first, second, 
or third circle interest. They can be self-oriented, social-oriented, or principle-oriented. Consider, for example, how the business value of making a profit is viewed differently by individuals with these three orientations. Business leaders whose values are self-oriented are focused on the acquisition of power and resources for their own gain and become motivated by greed. In the movie Wall Street, the character Gordon Gecko expresses the values of a self-absorbed business leader intent only on professional profit in his well-known line, greed is good. A CEO whose values are social-oriented might prioritize stock prices since it benefits his primary peer groups, board members, and stockholders. While dismissing as less important the effect his choices might have on other stakeholders in a company, including the employees, the customers, the community, and the environment, business leaders whose values are principle-oriented look beyond the interests of self and group. They are naturally drawn to the triple bottom line concept of measuring success by social and ecological as well as economic standards known as people, planet, and profit. Thus, they balance concerns for profit with attention to the interests of workers, customers, and investors as well as to the company's ecological footprint. The principled orientation of such leaders expressed through their values prompts them to act according to a broad third circle commitment to the common good. Only principle-oriented values can promote the common good. Thus, throughout this book, wherever the term values is used unqualified, it refers to principle-oriented values. Values-based leadership. Values are the taproot for all forms of leadership and especially leadership for the common good. Values provide leaders with a stable center from which to act and help them retain steadiness and moral clarity in times of challenge. One of the clearest demonstrations I have seen of the benefits of having a stable center was enacted by an Aikido master. The master held a wooden sword aloft in one hand and instructed a student to attempt to strike him using an overhead blow with another sword. Each time, the disciple's sword glanced off the master's sword without touching him. Throughout, the master continued to talk about the effectiveness of knowing how to function from one's physical and spiritual center. Values center us in the same way, offering us an internal compass from which to navigate choices. By examining the options in any given moment in light of personal values, leaders can choose actions that honor those core values, even while facing severe challenges. Leaders who have cultivated a relationship with their core values are able to do what they know is right, even when it is unpopular, such as when the way forward is clear from a moral standpoint, but might seem potentially costly from an economic or political perspective. For example, Aaron Ferrestein, owner and CEO of Malden Mills, the textile plant that invented polar tech fabric relied on his personal values in an emergency situation for his business. When the plant, which was located in the small city of Lawrence, Massachusetts, burned to the ground 
on December 11, 1995. Feuerstein made a series of magnanimous decisions that surprised everyone. Although colleagues encouraged him to move the plant to the south or overseas where he could pay lower wages, he decided instead to rebuild it on the same spot to save jobs. Moreover, only days after the fire, he called a meeting of his workers and announced that for the next 30 days, all employees would receive their full salary. 30 days later, he announced that he would extend workers' salaries at least another 30 days. In all, he paid out $25 million to his 3,000 employees during the rebuilding period. Feuerstein later indicated that his decisions had been guided by his Jewish faith and his study of the Talmud, which says not to take advantage of the working man because he is poor and needy. I have a responsibility to the worker, both blue-collar and white-collar. I have an equal responsibility to the community. It would have been unconscionable to put 3,000 people on the streets and deliver a death blow to the cities of Lawrence and Mathen, Forreston explained. When Morley Safer, reporter for the TV news program 60 Minutes, asked Forreston if in retrospect he considered this a wise business decision, Forreston replied, I think it was a wise business decision, but that is not why I did it. I did it because it was the right thing to do. Values can clarify the purpose of what leaders are undertaking. In 1985, shortly after accepting a position at a Jesuit university, I was walking with a new colleague across campus when he introduced me to a member of the Jesuit community and explained that I was designing a new undergraduate leadership development program. The Jesuit father asked me without hesitation, for what purpose? I responded, to help students to connect a sense of moral responsibility to their leadership. He asked again, for what purpose? Surprised, I thought quickly and replied, so their leadership is informed by questions of depth and meaning. He asked yet again, for what purpose? With growing frustration, I answered, so they can become creators of a more just society. Then he smiled and said, good. This man had pushed me until I finally articulated one of my personal values, justice, and linked it with the program. The conversation was unorthodox, yet it helped me launch a more clearly focused program. I had thought I was creating the program to serve the students, but after this conversation, I understood its deeper purpose, to help them serve as co-shapers of a more just society. Finally, values-based leadership often creates a multiplier effect. As people witness the integrity and effectiveness of leadership based on a leader's personal values, they often want to emulate it. They are inspired to choose their personal core values and then commit to them in their own endeavors. Whether individually or collectively, it takes courage and discipline to integrate our values into our daily lives. It is not easy to commit to acting from values such as love, integrity, or fairness. Yet as we practice aligning our daily choices with our personal values, whether facing major or minor decisions, we lead our lives with greater intention and increased integrity and peace of mind. Choosing personal values. Personal values must be intentionally and freely chosen. 
Otherwise, other forces in our lives may choose our values for us. As children, we passively absorb values from our social environment. Parents, teachers, religion, and the broader popular culture. We carry these as unexamined assumptions about how life works or what constitutes a good one. Part of the maturation process is to examine these unconsciously held values and consciously choose the core values we will carry into adulthood. If we don't, then we are by default unconsciously acting according to others' values. Even if we inherit a noble value, such as honesty, until we consciously embrace it ourselves, it remains simply a moral sentiment. Nelson Mandela actively chose his personal values. He stated in court in 1964 that when growing up, he had not only heard the stories of his ancestors who had fought for freedom, but he chose to make his own humble contribution to their freedom struggle. In this way, he transformed his forebears' commitment to freedom into a personal value in his own life. Personal values must be chosen, not only intentionally, but also freely. Many people live in a particular lifestyle, vote a certain way, or worship in a specific tradition because their parents did before them. Oppressive familial, social, and political systems can keep people from choosing values that are aligned with their authentic selves. As illustrated by a chance encounter I had with a fellow student on commencement day at my university. As we walked together across campus toward the ceremony site, I asked, are you excited about graduating? He replied, no, not really. Knowing that he had been accepted at a dental school, I said, that's surprising since you're on your way to becoming a dentist. Tears filled his eyes and his hands shook as he blurted out, I don't want to be a dentist. My father wants me to be a dentist. There is nothing wrong with honoring a family tradition or emulating a good role model. But these actions are damaging when they result in individuals forfeiting their own personal values and visions. The litmus test is, did the person cross the threshold of commitment to a value by saying yes to the question, is this how I intended to live my life too? If a person can't say no, her yes is not really a yes. Moreover, a yes is not a real yes if the alternative options are false. My father-in-law was a young boy during World War II when many items were rationed. Whenever he had an extra nickel, he rode his bike to the local soda fountain to buy an ice cream cone. Each time he would ask the store owner, what kind of ice cream do you have today? The owner would smile and say, we have vanilla, white, or plain. Which would you like? Vanilla ice cream is good, but it is not a real choice if chocolate and strawberry are not also on the menu. We see free choice making among alternatives demonstrated in Nelson Mandela's life. For instance, in working for the dissolution of apartheid, Nelson Mandela had the option of using violence. He had had experiences with fighting, having been a boxer in college, and was aware of ancestors who had been warriors. In addition, at one point Mandela was the commander-in-chief of a splinter group of the ANC, which, though generally committed to nonviolence and bringing an end to apartheid, founded a branch organization that engaged in sabotage and was preparing for guerrilla warfare. During his 1964 trial, Mandela explained, 
At the beginning of June 1961, after a long and anxious assessment of the South African situation, I and some colleagues came to the conclusion that as violence in this country was inevitable, it would be unrealistic and wrong for African leaders to continue preaching peace and nonviolence at a time when the government met our peaceful demands with force. It was only when all else had failed, when all channels of peaceful protest had been barred to us, that decision was made to embark on violent forms of political struggle. Later, Mandela commented that his choice violated the ANC's own principles, yet at the time they could not see how else to proceed. Despite this option of violence, however, Mandela eventually chose to follow in the footsteps of Gandhi and Martin Luther King and lead reform through nonviolent resistance, reflecting how he had selected this option freely from among others he had considered. Personal values must also be chosen with awareness of their potential cost. Mandela's social activism was a powerful choice in part because he understood the cost. He knew that by continuing to rally the black population of South Africa to demand equal rights, he would eventually be either jailed or killed. He realized too that his choices put his family in jeopardy, yet he and his wife Winnie decided together that the importance of the struggle for freedom outweighed the risks. In fact, Winnie Mandela continued the work to end apartheid while Nelson was in prison, even though during those years she received 15 death threats and her house was bombed. Choosing personal values does not always require individuals to stare death in the face, but it does necessitate consciousness of possible consequences. A person who values the dignity of all people might decide to ask a relative not to tell racist jokes, knowing that it could cause tension at the family reunion. A resident of a small town might choose to write a letter to the editor of the local newspaper on health care reform or immigration reform, realizing it might spark local rumors. Another individual, motivated by love, might opt to confront a buddy about his drinking habit, aware that it could jeopardize the friendship. Some people question the usefulness of choosing personal values, suggesting it is usually an exercise in idealism. That the values people choose are more principled than the values by which they actually live. I contend, however, along with developmental theorists, that behavior is preceded by awareness and that aspiring to chosen values enhances principled choice making. When we focus on our values, we naturally strive to engage in principled behavior. By professing our values, even if at first we don't act on them consistently, we begin to integrate them into our behaviors. Choosing personal values tends to bring people together as well. The personal values people hold are often the most universal. I have observed this repeatedly in a room full of people who have just identified their personal values. When asked to stand as I name one of their values, the entire group is almost always standing after as few as eight values have been named. It is sometimes pointed out that the same value may have different meanings for different people, and thus individuals with apparently the same values 
can potentially be in conflict with each other. This is especially true with a value such as family. For some people, the word family refers to the traditional nuclear family, while for others, it connotes a global family and includes gay and lesbian families. It turns out, however, that conflict becomes less intimidating and more productive in the context of values. When people honor their personal values, such as love, truth, or justice, while in conflict with another, the conflict itself is often transformed. Simply having personal values becomes a common ground where individuals can meet with mutual respect. Reflecting on our personal values allows us to adhere to them more often. Reflection does not result in a report card that indicates whether we did or did not act according to our core values on any given day. Rather, the discipline of reflection can change our psyche and behavior, helping us become more deeply rooted and more conscious of our habits. When we are in close relationship with our core values, they are likely to call us into an internal dialogue that illuminates our motivations, such as the Jesuit did when he repeatedly asked me for what purpose. We can ask ourselves, what do my core values expect of me today? Then listen deeply to what our mind, heart, and spirit tell us to do. Knowing our core values also allows us to personalize the question, am I in the third circle? By transforming it into an inquiry about values such as, am I honoring my core values? Just as the North Star can guide us geographically, a close relationship with our core values can indicate whether we are directing our actions toward the common good. Reflecting on our core values and conducting inner dialogues about their implications is about persistence, not perfection. An old Cherokee chief told his grandson, a terrible fight is going on inside me. It is a fight between two wolves. One is evil, he is anger, envy, greed, arrogance, and ego. The other is good, he is joy, peace, love, hope, generosity, and truth. The same fight is going on inside you and inside every other person too. The grandson thought about it for a minute and then asked, which wolf will win? The chief replied, the one you feed. People who persist in reminding themselves of their core values will more quickly recognize when they're getting off track and then find their balance and redirect their efforts. The point is to notice the gap between what we profess and what we do and try constantly to decrease it. This we can do through a daily habit of engaging with our values. Each day, we receive thousands of messages from popular culture through commercials, billboards, and pop-up advertising on the web, asking us to value things that which we may not want to be committed. In the face of that barrage of choices, a relationship with our core values helps us stay grounded in what we consider most important and ultimately supports us in becoming the authors of our life. Once you have identified your core values, why not commit the rest of your life to them? Each of us is already committing our life to something that may or may not be connected to our core values. 
Why not commit your life to what you consider the most important? People can hold their values casually and use them on occasion, or they can treasure them and regard them as touchstones of their best intentions. There are many ways to engage with your values on a daily basis. One powerful practice is to spend five minutes in the morning in silence, meditating on your values. Then you are ready to meet whatever the day brings with your values fresh in your mind. Another useful practice is to write each of your core values on a sticky note and post the notes in three strategic places where you will see them during the day. For instance, at home, at work, and in your wallet or purse. Or place them where you will see one in the morning, one at noon, and one at night, perhaps just before sleep. Some people artfully print their values on high-quality paper, frame them, and hang them above their desk as personal reminders and to show their colleagues what is important to them. Others list their value as part of their yearly goal setting, with the intention of being more accountable to them. Some organizations with ID badges have added each employee's core values to their badge to honor them. Some businesses offer to print employees' values on their business cards. Above all, committing to core values and strengthening them through reflection and engagement allows us to respond better when we encounter injustice or other social ills that offend us. The ability to recall our core values at such pivotal times is an important first step in acting as leaders for the common good. Exercises Choosing three core values. The best way to commit to personal values is to first select three as core values. Having only three core values makes it easy to recall them instantly and cultivate a working relationship with each of them so they in can influence how we make choices. To choose your three core values, follow the instructions below. Read through the following list of common values then add to the list with other values you like. The three blank lines at the bottom of the right-hand column are provided for this purpose, but they are not meant to set a limit. Feel free to add as many values as you wish. In considering which values to add, reflect on all aspects of your life, your home environment, workspace, and activities in your community. Also, think about values suggested by your culture, your ancestors, your family traditions, in your own life's defining moments. The list reads, peace, truth, wisdom, integrity, status, love, family, friendship, fame, justice, wealth, influence, power, happiness, authenticity, joy, success. And there's three lines for writing your own values in. The rest of the exercise involves refining your list by choosing the values that mean the most to you. As you make your selections, consider what your intellect tells you, but also listen to your heart, intuition, and spirit, each of which has its own form of wisdom. Take two to three minutes to complete each of the following steps. Step two, reduce your list to 10 values. Step three, 
reduce your list to five values. And step four, reduce your list to three values. These are your three core values. Reflection questions. What are your three core values? Who are three principle-centered leaders you admire? In your view, how have their values provided them with stability, direction, and clarity of purpose? How might your personal values help you connect with the values of an organization with which you are affiliated?